0: love what is it over there and where does that come from yes um, but the the teaching that that Jesus communicates that in that sums it up <laughs> yes okay can anybody like pitch in did Jesus just say love no he said that in the context of what 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 is the first and greatest? Yes, the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love God with all of your being and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that was Jesus' priority. And then he sent us out as disciples here forging followers. He says, go and make disciples, forge followers, right? Teaching them everything I have commanded you, which was what? To love God with all your being and love each other. As yourselves, all right? And so if that was Jesus's priority, this should be our priority as well. If this is what Jesus majored on, we should major on this as well. That we are about forging followers of Jesus who love God with all of their being. That is, they see him as greater, as better, as more beautiful than anything else, glorious. And it's out of that enjoyment of him that flows out into a love for each other and a right view of yourself. And so that's what we are about. And this is our vision. We want to forge followers of Jesus who, in a sense, who love. Who love. Right? This is what we're talking about today. How do we forge followers in love? How do we forge followers in love? Followers who love, who receive the love that God has for us, and followers who love one another in the church. Right? Next week, we'll look at how that love goes out, but for this week, here's how Jesus says it in the scripture that Stephen read at the beginning, John 13 and verse 34, and he said that in the context of um, him telling his disciples he was going to leave. He tells them he's going to leave. He gives this command. He tells them he's going to leave again. So this is the command that is couched in the center of him leaving. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus taught us to love. It's easy to forget how, how revolutionary it is, that idea that love is the primary means of transformation in society and community. It's easy for us to forget be like, okay, yeah, that sounds cute or trite, that love is what's going to bring the change and transformation. Why do we think of it like that? Well, partly, right, it's because we're all swimming in the same sort of post-Christian cultural current. But we need to realize that it was not at all times and in all places, and certainly not everywhere today, that it was assumed that love was going to triumph over power and will and the sword. That was not always the case. That's revolutionary. And so maybe we've lost sight of that, or maybe we've lost sight of what love itself is. What is love? I remember a friend telling me how he, he became a Christian, and he used to wonder about questions like this. What is love? He wondered about big existential questions and his wrestling. And at the time, he lived in Sydney, Australia, and he, um, he described to me one day going into a neighborhood where he considered, you know, this is, this is kind of the place to be. It's got a lot of progressive, artsy folks who, you know, think outside of the box. It also had a lot of intelligentsia. There were some major local universities. And he was in a cafe in that neighborhood, and he was wondering about this question, so he scrawled it down on a notepad, and he passed it around the room to see what sort of responses he would get. And I remember him describing how disappointed he was to get that notepad back, look down at the responses, and see... What is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. And he thought, like, is that it? Is that all there is to it? Is there no responses better than this? None of the responses communicated the, the depth and the power of love that he felt. Like, was love just a feeling? Was it just a, a chemical reaction in his brain? Or had we, had we missed something transcendent? Was there something more that we had missed or he had missed? And what I'm saying this, why I'm bringing this in is is for this, that if Jesus called us to, you know, as I have loved you, so ye ought to love one another. If if we first don't define what is love, then how are we going to love one another? And so we need to know what love is, right? We need to know what love is. And so to answer this, we're going to look at how Jesus has loved us. How has Jesus loved us? John 15, verse 12, he says this, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so there you hear some of the same things again. But then Jesus goes on in this passage. Greater love has no one than this, says Jesus. In other words, I'm about to tell you what the greatest expression of love is. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down their life for one's friends. This is what Jesus said the greatest expression of love is. Self-sacrifice. I had a friend in university um, who told me this story once, and I never forgot it. He said that when he was young, and the person who was telling it at the time was quite old, they told him this story. This guy had been an American prisoner of war in a Japanese concentration camp. And he said that the conditions there were brutal. They were brutal. You might have thought that because, you know, they're all allies in this camp together, that there would have been some sort of sense of camaraderie among them. But no, there was more of a sense of self-preservation. Just get through it, no matter what happens to the guy next to you. And this man went on to explain that one day, the guards in the prison counted the number of shovels that they had, and they realized that one of the shovels was missing. And so, as they would, they had everybody come, stand outside in rows, and they demanded, who took the shovel? And nobody came forward. Nobody came forward, and they waited. And the guard said, if you do not, if somebody does not come forward and say they took the shovel, we are going to begin to kill people randomly, shoot people randomly. And fear gripped his heart. And then over to one side, he saw one man step forward. Shot rang out, and he was gone. And later that day, the guards counted the number of shovels, and they discovered there was no shovel missing. There was no shovel missing. And the word began to go through the camp, that one of our people, one of our men, he was innocent, and yet he gave his life willingly so that we might be spared, so that we could live. And he said that day, the mood in the camp began to change. It began to change from one of self-preservation to one of unity and care for each other. Because if that that man saw our lives as valuable enough to give his life for, then how couldn't we treat each other in that way? And I tell you this story, the story of self-sacrifice, because this is what Jesus says love is. And we hear stories like this. We're like, yes, that's amazing. That's so beautiful. That's so wonderful. It just sounds so right. And yet, when we actually try and do it, it's so hard. If love is this ethos of sac- self sacrifice like like what a what an impossibility like what a burden to place on us how can we possibly do that and yet this is why there's Jesus see he comes and makes this possible see here's the thing Jesus he enters as it were into our prison camp. He enters into our prison camp willingly, he didn't deserve any of that, and he stood in our place. 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus enters into the prison camp of our lives, and in this case, there was no miscounting of shovels. There was no injustice on the part of God. God was perfectly just, and God was perfectly ordered, and perfectly good, because what we deserved for our disordered love, the ways that we mistreat each other, and ultimately God was death. And yet what he extended us was life. This is what Jesus has done for us. It's amazing. And yet you hear this and it sounds wonderful and you're like, yes, that ethos of love and self-sacrifice, man, Jesus just, just takes that and he just takes it to the whole next level. And yet Jesus' love is not meant to be a mere example for us. See, if Jesus' love is just meant to be a mere example for us, that becomes dangerous. It just becomes a sort of another version of crushing religion. Think about it. Jesus comes in. He shows the ethos of love as self-sacrifice. Then he cranks it up a notch. And then he says, love as I have loved you. And you're like, oh, how are we possibly to do this? The finger becomes long over us, doesn't it? See, Jesus is Love is not meant to be a mere example. Jesus' love is meant to be the means of our transformation from the inside out. You see, Jesus, his death made it possible so that the spirit of God, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, could come in and live in you and change you from the inside out so that you have access to a source of love that's unstoppable, unquenchable unending. That's what he made possible by his death. And so it says he pours out his spirit in us. That's what scripture says. It pour, he pours out his love in our hearts. Not our love being poured out, but his love being poured in. And this means, guys, we have access to a transcendent, eternal, powerful, unstoppable source of love in God. This is what Jesus has won for us at the cross. And this is put in us in our hearts, if we receive it. And so this means then, that the Spirit of God, when we have that, our power to love comes externally. Love then is no longer an impossibility, it's not sourced in us, it's sourced in him. Love is no longer, when we love each other, meant to be a burden, it's meant to be something that he carries along with us, because he's moved in, in our heart, This whole paradigm, it changes everything. This is how Jesus loved us. It's not meant to be a mere example. It's meant to be something that's received by faith in, that's transformative, life-changing. This is how Jesus has loved us. This is how he's loved us. He defines it, he does it, he lives it out, and then he makes it possible for us to do it as well. Isn't that amazing? He defines it, he does it. And then he makes it possible for us to do it. This is what love is. And this is also what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is. It's important that I say that in a a series on vision, that we are unashamed about the gospel. We are unapologetic about the gospel here in this church because it is the gospel that is the power to bring transformation to us. It is the gospel that makes it possible in order for us to love again. And that's why you'll hear it in every sermon that we preach and so how are we to do this? How are we to love God and each other as he has loved us? And I want to talk about each of these because this is, this is what it looks like to be forged as a follower of Jesus, right? Now that we understand how God has defined love and how he's, he's lived it out and expressed it, now how do we learn to love him in response and so that we can love others? So how do we learn to love God? Well, we've heard it all already that Jesus taught us to love God, particularly to love God with our whole heart and soul and strength and mind. Basically, this means love God with everything you got. All of you for all of him. And that sounds great, but it's also vague, isn't it? And we need to like sort of flush that out a little bit. And so that's what I'm going to do. What does it mean to love God? I'm going to flush this out in a few ways. Here's one. Pursue him with your affections. Pursue him with your affections. Think about what Jesus is asking us here when he asks us to love him. See, love is is not just will and commitment. Yes, it's will and commitment, but it's not just mere will and commitment. It's also desire and and delight. See, Jesus, he is commanding us to have affections for him. He is commanding us to love him. Now, think about that. Think about that. What if you were to command me to love jazz music? I don't love jazz music, by the way, right? But if You command me to love jazz. I, I can't do that. I can't just decide to love jazz music. At best, I'll honor jazz with my lips, but my heart will be far from it, Right? And yet, Jesus commands our affections. What should we do? What do we do? Well, first off, know that this is evidence that you need a new heart, i.e., new affections. Hear that. You needed a new heart to have these new affections in the first place. So pray and ask that He would start by bringing that transformation. And you can be honest about what's going on. Be honest about your lack of affection. Be honest about your no. I got no feelings for you. You command me to have affections. I don't have that. Just be honest with him. That's what he wants. There's no hiding to do here. And he is so happy to meet you right there in that place. Lord, I don't know you. I don't feel you. I don't want you. I don't have affections for you. Command it. Help me to have them. He is so happy to meet you right there. In that place. And provided you've asked that, you can rest assured he does, he will, he has given you a new heart. And now what you're in is in the process of cultivating and fostering your affections through encountering his grace and in his word and in prayer and in deep spiritual friendships, meaningful community. And you can rest assured, you know, like unlike jazz music, right? You know, maybe God didn't make me to enjoy jazz music. Maybe God didn't make you to enjoy jazz music, right? But he certainly made you to enjoy himself. You can rest assured in that, all right? I made you for enjoyment of his love. And in time, this will come, okay? And I know this. I've heard a number of your stories, you know, deep enough, long enough to know that for many of you, there was a time in which you didn't give a flying rip about God. And yet now what? You want him. You have affections for him. You desire him. Guys, this is evidence of his grace at work in you. Even the desire to have those desires is evidence of his grace at work in you. So be encouraged. Pursue him with your affections. He commands that. And as you pursue him with your new heart and soul, your affections, pursue him. Pursue with a new mind as well. Renew your mind in scripture, right? Don't let your faith be full of affections and delight and yet dumb, <laughs> right how can you love what you don't know you don't know know who you love that will help you love him better theology matters study matters love him with your mind i'm going to make a moment to to do a plug here okay so Our church, along with 15 other downtown churches, is running something called Courses for Everyone. It's starting about a month from now, October 2nd. And on Saturdays, and it's a series of Saturdays from uh, 10 to 3 p.m., you can go in a a community. It's like an intentional learning community in which you can grow in maturity of your knowledge and your love of God with other Christians. And we would invite you to take part in that. That's so important that you would love God with your mind. Pursue him with your affections. These are what it looks like to be loving God. And I'll say this last one. Obey him with your will. John 14, 15. If you love me, said Jesus, you will keep my commandments. See, if we say we love God, we're going to care about the things that he cares about. And let me be very clear here. This does not mean as long as you live right, God, that's all God wants. He is pleased with you just because you're living right. No, okay? Love is the root out of which honoring God with our wills is the fruit, okay? Love is the root out of which we want to honor him with our wills and follow his teaching and commands, and that's a fruit, okay? In the same way that I can say that I've seen God change many of your affections, I can also say that I've seen many of you change your will. That, again, is evidence of his power working within you, his love in particular working within you. There's much I could say about what it means to follow Jesus in his commands and his teaching, but I'm just going to try and sum it up and suffice it to say this, and that is, Jesus' view of human flourishing is so radically different than what you might see on BuzzFeed or read in the Wall Street Journal. Okay? His vision for human flourishing when it comes to human connection and sexuality all the way to how you treat the poor is so radically different. And you might feel like a world apart from that. But surrender, just keep surrendering your will to him and you will find in time that he through his love by his spirit begins to reshape you slowly, slowly, slowly to be more like him. Pursue him with your affections, love him with your mind, and obey him with your will. Okay, now we're ready to get to our text today, which was, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, all of these things are what it looks like to love God right? And it's important actually that I say this, that we at Church for Anyone are committed to seeing you through. We are committed to seeing you grow as a disciple of Jesus in your maturity in Christ and in your Christ-likeness so that you would become more and more like our King Jesus and that you would love God with all of who you are. That's our commitment to you. Um, And so the words of Jesus, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So now we've looked at how Jesus has loved us and how we love God in response. And now the final part of that is how do we love one another? See, this is where the love of God really comes home to roost, right? See, this is where what is spiritual, this is where what is invisible becomes uh, tangible and visible and embodied among us in community, that our love for each other flows out of the love that we have experienced in God. That we are to love one another. It's such a simple command, right? Such a simple command. I have a, a, a daughter; she's almost three years old. I think she's she's almost at the point where she could land this. It's such a simple command, and yet at the same time, it's so profound. And I've been a Christian for a while and yet I still fail at this all the time. It is so simple, and yet it is so profound, and it is also central that much, in fact, you could, in a way, say everything that Jesus teaches flows out of this command, and so why don't we? Why don't we love each other well? If it's so central, if it's you know, simple and yet profound, why can't we love each other well? What stands in the way? What stands in the way? Let me ask that to you. What stands in the way of us loving each other well? Say it out. ourselves. Yes, me. I stand in the way. That is the simplest way to sum it up, right? We don't love each other well because we are trying to love ourselves well. What a mind-twisting thing, right? How wacky is that? We don't love each other well because we are trying to love ourselves well. And there's a way in which I'm, you know, I was preparing for this and I could just like hear the wheels turning in your head. Well, don't we need self-love, Don't we need self-care? Like if I'm not doing self-love and self-care, how can I ever have love and care to give to other people? Like won't I just burn up? Like how is this taking care of my well-being? And let me just say there's a truth in that, and the truth in that is this, and that is that we can't love out of a place of lack. That's right, we can't love out of a place of lack. But, but if you've ever tried to self-love, how's that going for you? How's it going for you? Standing in the mirror saying, I'm strong today. I am beautiful today. I can do it today. I am loved today. How's that going for you? How's that working? See, what's so much more powerful than that? See, with so much different than that, your limited capacity to love yourself and therefore others, Okay, what's so much other than that is to know that you are loved, that you are loved by a God inexhaustible. You are loved by a God unchanging. And if, when you know that you are loved by him in that way, then and only then will you have a source of love by which you can then love others. All right? And so this is why loving God is the priority, that we love him. We love him first, and then we are able to love others out of that. He actually releases us, in a sense, from ourselves. The way that in our attempt to love ourselves, we end up getting in the way, it gets in the way of our love for others. And so what does it look like to have a church that is being driven by this sort of love? A love that is a form of self-denial, really. What does it look like? Well, Jesus said love one another. He had a lot of other sort of one another statements. He said things like pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be kind to one another, and on and on. And there's no end in a sense then of what love might ask of us. And so what are the practical ways that we can live this out in our lives? Well, there's, again, there's no end but I'm going to walk you through some of the main ways that we are forging followers in community as Church 21 that are part of our vision so that you can see how love needs to be a part of those things. One is that we gather on Sunday, like we're doing right now, right? We're gathering, we... We pray together congregationally. We praise God together. We hear the word preached together. We take communion together. All of these things together, they make the church visible, right? They make the church visible to each other. You can get to know and interact with each other. You're not alone. They make the church visible also to outsiders. All of this is a a beautiful, a glorious thing, right? Jesus, he loves his church. He loves seeing it made visible in this way. And so what does it look like for our gathering to be motivated by love? Again, lots of things I could say. Let me pick on one. And that is that in the same relentless way that Jesus loves his church, so we should be loving it in the sense that we don't stand to one side and critique it from over here. No, we are a part of it, and we love it, and so we don't critique it, Off on an island somewhere. No, we're part of it. And so, like Bonhoeffer would say, we're not an accuser of the brethren. We become advocates for the brethren. It doesn't mean we can't point out problems. but We do it from a stance of love. I'm pointing this out because of how much I love you and the thing that I'm a part of, the church community. See, love changes the stance, the way with which we approach problems in the church. Another thing that this means is that, what does it mean to be motivated by love in our gathering? Like, hopefully you're not coming out of obligation. Hopefully your prayer, your praise, all of these things are flowing out of that same love that you're experiencing in God. And that changes so much, guys. That changes the way that you come in. It changes the way that you pray for each other. It changes the way you serve. It changes the way you give. It changes all of those things. And in a way, it would put me out of like half of a job, which wouldn't be so bad, right? Love one another. It's that simple and yet it's that profound. It changes everything when we are motivated by love. We don't come out of obligation. We become an advocate of the church rather than an accuser of the church. So that's our Sunday gathering. Those are some ways it changes that. We also do city groups. So Sunday, it's this larger format. You can't get to know everybody here in a meaningful way, but we have city groups as an attempt to make that possible. This is like groups of 10 uh, to 20, and we define those. We identify those as like, these groups are their family together, their servants together, uh, their missionaries, their missional together. And So what does it look like for that to be motivated by Love. Well, I think the most important thing to say in this is that this is the family that God has placed you in. You are not here by mistake. God has ordered the times and the places and the people of this earth, it says in Acts 17, so that you would be here today and in this community and a part of the family that He has you in. Okay? We get to pick our friends. We don't get to pick our family. And so having a family that's chosen by Jesus changes things, doesn't it? Right? And so we are to approach that with love. Do you love the family that God has given you? (laughs) Your community. Maybe you're here in your city group leader. I can feel like As our city groups, I describe, you know, family, servants, missionaries, a lot of rhythms that happen there. There's discussion, there's prayer, there's worship, there's serving and barbecues and all this kind of stuff. And it's easy to get lost in the rhythm and be like, what is it all about again? Let me just remind you what it's all about again. It is about loving people well. That's what it's about. This is what it looks like to be motivated by love. It means, not just for a city group leader, for all of you as a Christian in a community, you have no reason to ever be bored. When you are motivated by love, this has profound implications on you. That means there is always somebody around you that needs to be prayed for, that needs to be served, that needs to be cared for. There is always something that God has you to do. Your time is not free. It was bought with a price. Glorify God with your time. Jesus has placed you here for a reason, in a community for a reason. What does it look like to be loving in that community, shaped by Jesus? Okay, so we have um, our gathering for worship. We have our city groups that's a bit smaller. And then we get right down to the smallest level is what we call change groups. Those are two to three people, guys uh, with guys, girls with girls. And they're shaped uh, by reading scripture deeply, intentionally, prayer, and holding each other accountable. Basically what it is, Change Group is a fancy label for saying, hey, guys, you need deep, meaningful, spiritual friendships in your life. You need it. You have to have it. Okay? And I understand some of you come from faraway places. I did at one time, you know. And you have these friends in other places. You're like, oh, that's my deep relationship. I'll stay connected with them over the phone or Skype. or I guess it's Zoom now. Whatever. And that's good, okay? Don't drop that. Don't give that up. But you need deep, meaningful, spiritual friendships that can sit in front of you, okay? That can call you out on your junk. That can say it to you like it really is, in love, of course. You need that. That's that's crucial, crucial for your spiritual well-being. That is the very means by which God wants to grow you up into maturity in Christ. He's appointed these people in your lives. You see that? And yet we try and avoid that. See, if we, you think of David, right? King David, he had this guy Nathan come in and confront him. Who are the Nathans in your life? Who are the people that you've given permission to be able to confront you with where you're at? See, if you don't have that, you are a danger to this community and a danger to yourself. Because you will not see your own sin all the time. And that will take you out. But that's not what we want. We want you to have deep, meaningful, spiritual friendships so that in love you can build one another up in Christ Jesus in maturity. So we gather together on Sunday We meet in these smaller communities called city groups. And then we have change groups to really go deep with just a few people. And those are the way that we're attempting to forge followers of Jesus in the biggest sense in our community. We also have men and women's and youth ministry. Our men's ministry, we got a, let me just pitch it right here. A men's event coming up on September the 10th at 7 p.m. in the West Island. If you need a ride, somebody's going to try and figure that out In the announcements time, okay? Um, And there's also a women's event coming up on September uh, 24th. Details to come. Be there. Be square, you know? Anyway, these are all ways that we forge uh, followers of Jesus in community. And of course, it is so important that we remember in all of this, okay, that without love, our Sunday worship is nothing. Okay, without love our city groups are nothing. Without love our change groups are nothing. Without love my preaching is nothing. Without love our social action is nothing. Without love it's nothing. But with love, the love that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts. Jesus wants to change us. He wants to forge us. Here time, pressure, heat. He wants to do that in you. I want to end with this. <clears throat> You know, everything that we have been talking about today, loving Jesus as he has loved us is dependent on something. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? Everything we're talking about is dependent on the assurance of the reality of God's love for you. All of it, all of it depends on, do you have assurance of the reality that God loves you? Do you? in your heart of hearts? Do you have that? Some of you I know, I know you well enough. We've been through conversations. We've, we've spoken about the inner life together and you're sitting on my couch and this is one of the questions that I love to ask you and the question that I'll ask is this, is right now, what do you think God's heart is towards you? What do you think he feels or he thinks about you? And so often people reply, I think he's disappointed with me. I think he's—he's been, you know, he's—I know he's—he—he loves me. He says he loves me, but I just have this sense that when I come into my presence, my shoulders are drooping and there's sort of a frown on his face. And guys, if that's you, let me tell you, that's not true. God is not disappointed with you. God is not disappointed with you. He's not sort of up there in the sky frowning on you right now. it's not a mixture of love and frown. That's not it at all. Here's what you need to hear. Jesus is not disappointed with you. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible it was. It doesn't matter how long you've hit it. It doesn't matter if it was unintentional or intentional. The reality is that scripture says that Jesus, he will deal gently with the ignorant and with the wayward. And you know what ignorant and wayward there means? It means with intentional and unintentional sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've hit it. Jesus' love is unstoppable, and he wants that to release that all over you, okay? It's not your sin that holds back the presence of God from you. It's your inability to come to him in humility and receive his assurance of love for you. That. Is what you need to hear. And so go to him again. Go to him again. Go to him again and receive grace and help in time of need. And he promises to give that to you. He does. You see, what makes you think his love is going to run out? What makes you think his love is going to run dry? That's impossible. It's impossible. Stop listening to the voices in your head that tell you that. That's not true. Instead, like Jesus to the devil, talk back to them. Talk back to them out loud if you have them. When they come to you and say, no, no, his love is running dry, say, no, 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 his love is deeper. His love is wider. His love is greater than anything ever because it's unstoppable. Why? Because God is love and he's unstoppable. He's unmeasurable and his love will never cease to exist And he more than he himself will cease to exist. God's love is unstoppable. Talk back to those voices. And if they begin to question your assurance and security in christ tell them no if jesus would pursue me in love when i was still a rebel when jesus if jesus would pursue me in love when i was still a sinner and i didn't give a flying rip about him and yet he would welcome me into his family and make me his child and call me his friend why would he now unfriend me why would he now abandon me as his child he will never do that he can no more abandon himself than uh, us than he can abandon himself this is what is true Do you believe that? Talk back to those voices in your head that say the love of God is running out. Talk back to those voices in your head that say you are not secure in Christ. You are. (laughs) See, this is something that blew my mind as I was preparing for this. You see how it says, you know, Jesus taught us, right, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, Jesus, he perfectly Models that for us. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means that not only Jesus, does he love us perfectly as his neighbor, that means the same love and commitment that he has towards himself, he has towards you. (laughs) The same love and commitment he has towards himself, he he will see you through. He will not let go of you. He will not drop you. He is as committed to you as he is committed to himself. When we are faithless, he remains faithful for what? He cannot deny himself. That's what's true. That's what's true. Isn't that incredible? And so know the security you have in Christ. Know the security you have in Christ. You are in him. He loves you. He is for you. And the only right response to a love like that is to love him back with all we are. Don't hold back. Why would you hold back? Don't hold back. Love him with all you are. And so let that be what we're about as we are forged as followers of Jesus. You see, there are many good things to be about, but there is one great thing. Let us love God with all of our being and love each other as ourselves. Let's not complicate this. This is our vision. Let's pray. Spirit of God. You are the one who brings love. Lord, some of us are struggling to receive that today. If you're somebody here who is, um, feels like you cannot receive the love of God, I just invite you to open your hands in a posture of reception, and I'm going to pray over you. mercy on me and say that and that spirit of god will you come to them and will you meet them where they're at and will you pour out your love on them unstoppable right now in jesus name and if there's anybody here who feels like their love has run out that it has run dry i want you also to open your hands in a sense of just a posture of reception and be ready for the spirit to me, you, Spirit of God. Would you come and renew us? Would you come and strengthen us? Would you meet us in the place of our weakness? And would you cause your life to shine through, right through the cracks of our brokenness? Come, Holy Spirit, we need you right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Make us more like you. Make us like you, Jesus. Let us hold nothing back in response to your love. In Jesus' name, amen.